Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast featuring emergent and established artists, gallerists, curators and collectors in Asia. Hello, I'm your podcast host Oscar Van Huys, a Dutch Korean entrepreneur and artist based on Lama Island in Hong Kong. In this episode, I sat down and met Joseph Chen at his workplace at Eaton in Hong Kong. We discussed his last group exhibition at PhD Group, his collaboration with Cass Wong, his research, and we talked about his personal experience of being queer in Hong Kong. I like to emphasize that this weekly podcast is entirely free. However, each weekly episode requires enormous personal resources, so I'm asking you a very simple favor. If you enjoyed this podcast, please ensure you subscribe to this podcast channel and share this podcast with your colleagues or friends. Without your support, this podcast would not be possible. And before we begin, I'd like to mention that the Last Supper podcast is supported by the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong. Hello, Joseph. Welcome to today's podcast. And how are you feeling today? Um, I'm feeling good. Thank you, Oscar. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty energetic today. Yeah. So let's begin with introducing yourself and describe who Joseph Chang is. I'm an artist and also an art and cultural organizer that uh, I'm currently working in Etienne as the director of culture. That uh, usually I do different kind of culture initiative for creative change maker and modularized community in Eton. And apart from my work, I also working on my own art practice, like video installation and performance. So that's basically what Joseph Chen is. Since this is a podcast and listeners are unable to see where we are. Can you describe the space? Because this is not your typical gallery environment, but Eaton is part of a hospitality group in Asia. We are in a meeting room uh, in Eaton House in the Eaton HK. So Eaton HK is a Hong Kong branch of a global hospitality brand, Eaton Workshop. So Eaton Workshop is a purpose-driven hospitality brand. It's more than just a hotel. Just like what you said, uh, we got a co-working space here. We also got different kind of like F&B outlet and also got different kind of facility for the creatives and like a modularized community to use it. Like we got a cinema here. We got a music room for live band show and DJ and a gallery for contemporary art and a radio booth. So um, different kind of this kind of facility makes eating is more like a community space for different kind of people to freely express themselves and use the resources here to amplify their voices. So yeah. <laughs> the first thing that I noticed was your t-shirts which has an artwork of Hong Kong artist Gary Kwok. What can you tell me about this image that's on your T-shirt? Actually, what I'm wearing is a T-shirt by a artist called Gary Kwok. And he did an exhibition here in the Pride Moon 
in June. So uh, he is a photographer and artist based in Hong Kong. His photography were usually very related to fashion and also theater. And the print that on my T-shirt is a photograph of himself that he dressing and make up like a maid that responding to the queer identity that some type of white man that had a special fetish of Asian people that those Asian people would be called as rice cream that was like serving the white man. So he's dressing up like a rice cream, like a maid that were holding a plate of rice. So his like the hysterical way that to play a irony of his own identity that how this kind of cross-racial dynamic between the queer community. Apart from the exhibition, he also made it into a t-shirt. So it's also selling in our lobby. So we got a like a pop-up retail store called Colony Kiss. It was available to sell during our Pride Month. So I was now wearing this t-shirt. The first time I saw your work was at PhD group in Wang Chai in Hong Kong. The gallery that is owned by Isabel and Willem, who have been on this podcast as well. At the time, I wasn't aware that you and your partner, Cass Wong, were the artists behind this work. So it's a real pleasure to actually meet you in person and face to face. What can you tell me about the two works that you developed for the show at the PhD group? Uh, that one is a commission piece. It was like a series of two work that with the same concept. So the first one we created for their first exhibition in the gallery. So which is like a locket, a gigantic locket that we paste our self-portrait uh, painting inside it. It's painting that depict that we are dressing like those ancient Chinese guy that were very long here. That we are, I'm holding a swamp and stepping my partner cars. So it's kind of like um, a commentary of monogamy that uh, happening in the queer community now because like um, the queer people now is pursuing a very homonormativity kind of life that they want to get married one-on-one and have kids that like strict people and try to fit into the society that wants what queer people to be and which is we are very want to explore that the diversity and also the possibility how queer people used to be more progressive is that was rather than having that what strict people would usually do, that uh, we might have polygamy, we might have different kind of lifestyle that is not just forming a such a kind of family that strict people will usually do. So this is the first concept for the, um, the first locket. What about the second work that is a mattress? What can you say about this piece? The second locket, we are using uh, another painting that we're depicting an imagery that we both were uh, sitting on a mattress that was burning matches. So, which is we kind of want to um, 
destroy that such imagery that both of us that need to be a pair need to be a one-on-one relationship it's kind of a similar idea but also inspired by there is a group of queer people that under a research and back to the 80s done by the FBI saying that they're huge not huge among but they're a among of uh, those people commit crime that were sexually aroused by setting up a fire was a queer people it was very interesting that to see how queer people suppress their sexual desire that uh, by setting up fire that was also being a research by the government that how this kind of like dirty history or background of the queer people was depicting as criminal but it's still a truth it's still a something done by a survey such a kind of history that might not be so welcoming for the people in this day because this day you can see queer people was just usually in the bitch they're a masculine guy that was like <laughs> taking selfie under the sunshine or doing it at the gym or, or in the private right everyone was so positive those kind of vibe but there's so much more history or yeah we didn't see now that how queer people was being suppressed in the past that they need to express their sexual desire in some kind of like illegal way. So that painting is kind of like commentating not just our relationship, but also so some kind of desire was like hidden or unseen in the recent days. Yep. The two pieces that you just described are part of the project, I think, of Virtue Village. What was completely new to me was the arousal element of setting things on fire. Were you aware of this before you began this project or how did you discover this historical context? Um, the file concept is like, it's more complicated because uh, it's originally we pick up a matches in the industrial building that was for shooting our first uh, artwork that we collaborated, uh, which is called How to Migrate to a Higher Dimension, that we use that mattress as a props. So later I also used that mattress for a solo exhibition of myself in Video Touch called Shane Prime and Gory Ho. To both work as also kind of like relating the mattress into some kind of relationship romantic relationship but also uh, reflecting some kind of like practice I or our group usually do is like we will reuse some kind of material in our previous work that to some kind of reinterpret it and also reinvent another meaning on that so later we also burn that matches to try to say goodbye to our past, like dust to dust, uh, ash to ash. So in the process, we burn in it, we find it, it's kind of interesting that how about we just not saying goodbye to the materiality, we, how about we saying goodbye to our physical body? So we try to depict such kind of imagery into the painting, and put it in the locket as well. So when we were like working up this concept that we also researching for our show 
for uh, the show that we did in PhD like um, several months ago called Point that we find the interesting research that done by FBI because the show was kind of like to finding alternative way to describe the how a village life can be and there are one very major part is the gay village that in this context so when we are doing that research we we found the research by the fbi how uh, he describing the queer people was bunch of criminal doing like set on fire yeah virtue village is a project that you do together with your partner Cass Wong can you describe the collaborative process of working with two people on this project um i feel like when i working when i'm working with Cass uh who is also my partner that we we're in a relationship too so we're not just a work partner we're also a like a family so the process that we collaborate is somehow is really intense sometimes because that we will have a lot of argument about different kind of concept different kind of like execution way that we may i may think oh that thing is good and he thinks that it sucks so there's lots of debates on that so but sometimes that we also feel we have laws in common that's why we are being together in a relationship but we also synchronize in many ways like our aesthetic like the subject matter that we we're interesting in so that's why we are working together so sometimes we can't really separate like oh this is uh, whose contribution so but i would say in the um, the current show that we we did in PXG Cass has did more uh and contribute for that show more because i was so occupied by my day job in Eton that were i was doing a earth month program then it's a pride month program that was both is like a festival scale so Cass is like contributing like maybe two thirds of it i am just one third of it in the show but i'm still very enjoy that and the working process we also communicate a lot that to make things happen so that's usually how we collaborate but because i was taking up the job in Eton now so i'm kind of giving up my own solo career because it's really too much for me to handling both my day job and my solo career so i'm more focusing collaborating with cars as virtual village in the past year yeah the workload is pretty intense with a full-time role at Eton that you just described while simultaneously trying to develop your own body of work have you completely given up your personal work i feel like doing the job as like dark top culture and eating is not just a full-time job sometimes i feel like it occupying maybe seven days a week <laughs> because we have lots of event going on in the weekend so whenever there's an event here that i will show up and show support and also communicate with different kind of members from the community that we would like to support and 
So I would say I don't have much leisure time or time to think of my personal work after work sometimes. It would be hard for me to balance both my solo career and also my daytime job here. But I really enjoy working at Eaton because in my previous job, I also working as a curator in different kind of institution that I enjoy not just making my own work, but also making other people's dream happen that was doing program that can gather people, then can build community for people, which is what I'm very interested in. And working here is not just uh, engaging with the art community, there are different kind of community, maybe the LGBT community and also the refugee or migrant or different kind of minority that I feel like I have the obligation that I really want to support them and giving them resources to free express themselves. So, so far I'm still really enjoy it. Uh, and I'm not fully giving up my own art career that maybe I just take a pause and yeah, and maybe restart again soon. We began this conversation with the unique concept and environment of Eaton where you work. How would you explain the difference between a, let's say, conventional gallery space and what you do here at the Eaton Group? We are a private corporation that we try to balance um, three areas. The first one is the profit because without the financial support for our company that we can do uh, such cultural initiative like other NGO maybe. So another thing is people, we value people no matter the people work in our company and also other community like um, maybe gender or sexual minority or racial or ethnic minority or maybe refugee and migrant, this kind of marginalized people and also local artists and change maker. We really want to build space, a safe space for them to freely express themselves. But also it's more like a first space that is not a space, is eating is not your home, that you won't sleep here unless you're a tourist <laughs> or it's not just a workplace like I'm working here and it's not just a place that uh, is doing transaction that is uh, you are buying product, buying service here. But it's more like a place that we can build knowledge, exchange knowledge, there are different kind of dialogue that we can do it here that how to make different kind of group of people understand and respect themselves. So this is the idea how to gathering people and the third one is planet because we really want to do this um, business in a sustainable way, how to make our earth better that to be more environmental friendly and also taking care of species not just human maybe plants and also animals so we try to maintain such a we call triple bottom line to balance poor fat people and planet and there is also a several focus in our cultural programming like what i said gender and sexuality 
racial and ethnic minority and refugee and migrant environmentalism, that animal right, and we also taking care of wellness. That no matter your physical wellness or mental wellness, we care about different kind of people's wellness. We have program like yoga and sun bath and also tai chi. <laughs> so、um, we taking care of not just your body. But also taking care of your mind. The last one we also focusing is the art and culture, like music, dance, theater, films, and etc. So using the facility here, that we can pushing the boundary of the local arts because what we imagine local arts that usually was happening in commercial gallery or a. Non-profit organization or a museum that, when you thinking of oh a private corporation want to do such thing, you will think of like maybe K Eleven that was turning a mall into a art mall, but it's more what they're doing is more like oh they is doing for their branding. But we are generally want to support different kind of community that we believe that. A private corporation can be a community space, but not just like oh, because I want to recruit such kind of community so we can take a picture with them. That so that we can show that oh, we fulfill the social responsibility. It's totally not that. We believe that we offering our space and our resources to them. They can build up and become a more successful person that or a more successful group. Like before, we got a refugee friend called Harmony. That ah,、uh, she has a ethnic minority、uh, modeling agency. They have、uh, multiple fashion shows happening in Eton before. So now she was shortlist and thirty、uh, under thirty, the Forbes magazine list. So which is a like an international、uh, list for successful youth people. So different kind of people like Harmony that was building up their career here and amplify their marginalized voice. So that's what Eton really wanted to do. Yeah. Can you also speak, and if you don't mind, more about your vision and art direction of the shows and cultural initiatives you organize and host at Eton? What is your curatorial approach? The majority of the show is like、um, shows from Hong Kong artists. We did a lot of solo show with Hong Kong artists. Like、uh, last time,、uh, we did a solo show with Luke Casey. He is like an artist, but also working on fashion and the music industry. So technically, he is not those kind of like contemporary fine artists. He's more like coming from in this intersection of art and also maybe subculture. So many of the show in the our gallery tomorrow maybe is like that. We are not just focusing on contemporary art. We are also. On the presenting、uh, artists from different kind of view, maybe underground culture and also street culture. That not just Luke. In previously, we did a show also with、um, Vivi Selakok. She is a、uh, new media artist focusing on science fiction story about how to imagine a future if 
the current war city still exists. So it's kind of related to our local culture, but have a speculative fiction way. We also did a show with uh, Christopher Cahill. Uh, he's currently the um, executive director of Asia Art Archive, also an artist uh, of PhD. He did a show about hotel, how presenting a, a experience living in a hotel into a gallery space. So we have some kind of more site-specific exhibition. We also have some kind of like a more imaginative way to uh, relate it to local culture. So different kind of approach we also presenting in such a space. But most importantly, usually this artist was uh, pretty ima- uh, emerging and not those big names you can see in the museum and we really want to giving them a such a space for doing their artwork yeah let's move on to another subject being queer is one of the strengths of inspiration for you On the one hand, Hong Kong is very traditional and a very patriarchal-centered society. What was it like to grow up as a queer individual in this place? And what is your perspective, how the acceptance has evolved over the years? I feel like growing up in Hong Kong, although Hong Kong is not very conservative than those maybe underdeveloped countries that used to be colonialized by the Western country that was imposed the idea of the heterosexuality as a very normative way. But still Hong Kong was being colonialized by the British before, although we are quite like developed in one way. I feel like in many different kind of culture, that non-Western culture, that homosexuality or transgender is not that uncommon. There is some kind of like history in this kind of country that uh, like the Native American had the two spirit and the South Asian had third gender. And also in the Chinese culture, we even had a God that was a homosexual or also the empire was homosexual too. So this kind of culture uh, seems to be erased and by the British and imposed such a law that to banning homosexuality. So the culture that I was growing up that I was being told that like homosexual was some kind of pervert and there's something you need to hide that you can't expose your identity. Therefore, there's a lot of slang or language that was growing in the queer community here that we would call ourselves like member. That was like, oh, you're part of the members of the community. And also this kind of language should describe we're in different kind of role in the romance or sexual, like, top and bottom in the western way we we'll hear and call one and zero to refer it so this different kind of language is trying to kind of hiding 
uh, what you are saying when you maybe have strict people around you so they don't understand what you exactly saying but if you are part of the community you get it, what you are saying so I would feel like such kind of like operation or how to use language is always a, a tool for marginalized community that they to recognize themselves but also kind of protecting themselves and even sometimes it's like how people was reclaiming the language like queer this term used to be a language that strict people was trying to undermine or how to say that to have a legacy meaning of what's uh, the homosexual people is the people from the community reclaiming that language and uh, giving them a new meaning and giving them a positive way and saying uh, and so people when they use and queer they will no longer thinking that as a term that used to giving a negative meaning to the community so I would think such a operation that using language is also not just for the marginalized community but also art is very focusing on how to using the language how to reinterpret the language and how to uh, chasing back the language to the, its origin because I feel like contemporary art is so much about the context, the concept and the research you are doing and not just a bad job of the artwork but it's more like the process of the artwork so in the show that we did in PhD that we kind of like rediscover such a different kind of language in the queer community like one one of the work is called um, uh, Angel from Sodom. So Sodom is a city in Bible, which is a city for, very sinful in the eyes of God that because it's full of queer people. Um, so God decided to burn it, the whole city. So the term Sodom later turned into a work called Sodomy to describing homosexual sex, also the sex between human and animal, and sodomy becoming a law under the British law uh, in Hong Kong to banning gay people for having anal sex. So such law was still valid till the early 90s. So the act was still being criminalized until like 30 years ago. So I just want to say how a language a work that was originally from some kind of religions and the religion uh, turned into some kind of law and the law was kind of suppressing our people so it's really important for the community to chasing back the history and seeing how the language was controlling how we are thinking and yeah that's pretty much what i want to say <laughs> What I hear is that it used to be a real challenge of being queer. However, the situation has somewhat improved. Is that a fair description? And what was your personal experience of growing up in this environment? I think when I was like in the teenage age, it's like uh, when I was secondary school, I discovered my sexuality, that I was really under a identity struggle that 
I'm not very sure that what kind of person I am, what kind of gender that I'm falling in love with. So in that period, I was really struggle. So I can find people like me when I was in my school that I was thinking, oh, am I alone? Am I the only person like that? Although I had heard people like me from the media, but usually I can see it as like those like news that that queer people being arrested because they are having sex in the public or some kind of celebrity that the paparazzi is saying, oh, he's gay. He's like maybe holding hand with a guy uh, in the street. So those kind of news is always projecting some kind of negative image about homosexuality. And also in TV, those kind of like uh, homosexual people in the TV is some kind of pervert that they are psychopaths or, or killing people in TV drama. So it's all that kind of negative image. So I'm kind of like confused who I am. So at that time that I'm very lucky to find a organization called Rainbows of Hong Kong that was uh, located in Jordan that I was going there like every weekday after school to find some people like me that to find a community to find a family that i was very happy to be around with them i can still remember that time every day that i was walking past by eating <laughs> that time Eden was just a hotel that i really not see what's the reason would bring me in but anyway that i'm very glad to have rainbows of hong kong that i can find other gay people or lgbt people i even find a kind of my jack mother that uh there's a amateur drag queen in the rainbows of hong kong and he's called simi like and he brought me to a event as like uh it's not an event but it, it was halloween that he he taught me how to dress up and make up and going to lan kwai fong with a bunch of gay people dressing up like a drag queen and walking down the street and people love to take a picture with us and we really enjoy that moment because in halloween is a like a day people were celebrating oh everyone was just up so different it's like a creature it's like a monster but people won't criticize you for for any way but if you're dressing up like that in the normal days on the street people will be like taking picture of it and like screaming and treating you like some kind of like creature so yeah that's how i think our society is so it's more like we need to have a some kind of special occasion to to accept people with being different, just different, or being have a different kind of like sexual identity or different kind of like um, identity that were being accepted for just that one day. That was I was perceiving in the past, but I feel like in the recent year because there are more and more different kind of community event in Hong Kong and with more and more like information from the internet that how queer people was not something so strange or so unfamiliar with to other kind of like heterosexual people that we even got a queer uh, 
representative in our legislative council before in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong people were being more and more accepted such a queer as still a part of our society is not something I, we should scare off. So this is how the atmosphere in Hong Kong have been changing in the, like, the past decade. And we will also like to push as Eaton pushed this kind of boundary further because people may hurt of gay people. So what about transgender people? So how transgender people goes to toilet? And because in Hong Kong, there's so many toilets, it's only strictly for male or female or, or even disabled people. So what about transgender people? Can they go into the toilet in the gender they preferred it. So in Eaton, we got gender neutral toilet and such a sign that a toilet sign is like a guy wearing a dress or, or a woman wearing his pants, such kind of sign that was giving the transgender people some kind of way to comfort and feel like safe. They, they can go to the toilet, whatever they want, instead of fear. Sometimes they go into the toilet outside. Some kind of people were taking picture of them saying, oh, why are you a man going to a woman's toilet? I would like to call the police, things like that. So such a science, also a language, how the language tells the people that what this facility is especially for what kind of people to use. So. I would like to say that such kind of language or gesture or such kind of like decision was making the queer community a little bit better, a little bit being accepted in the society. Your father was an artist as well. So I wonder, were you able to discuss and share your work with him as well? Yeah, I, I did show him my like a, a video I did like 10 years ago that uh, when he was very sick in the last phase of cancer that uh, he was like kind of saying that what I'm doing is not a very important or very important issue that he might think that was important to explore because he was more found into the Chinese philosophy, but Taoism, those kind of things that maybe identity politics to him is not something that the how say he would prioritize or, or he would like to express through his artwork. That's what I got from the conversation that I was with him in that period. Do you think that your parents were aware of you being queer? Yeah, my father found it first. And yeah, actually he also told me about an experience that he had when he was young, that's such a kind of like queer experience before. So I was pretty shocked that time. So it's kind of like, oh shit, it's that genetic thing. <laughs> and even though people were saying, oh, everything is so, so construction. Yeah, <laughs> that is not from your gene or something. Yeah. 
sometimes I feel like it's very difficult to hide from your parents. I think your parents always can sense something. Even they sense something, they just want to deny it. Then they don't want to admit it. Oh, my kids are gay, my kids are lesbian, that things like that. But they just try to brainwash themselves. Even they can find so many chases from your, your habit for <laughs> in, in your life, yeah. It appears that within your family, your sexuality wasn't a real topic and something that was not really discussed. Is that one of the reasons that your work is so explicitly queer or explicit in general? Because your art is a portal to really express yourself free from judgment of other people. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's a bit hard to just telling them or explaining what I'm doing now sometimes. So they will feel like, yeah, maybe you should save more money for, for the future and buying a house and yeah, things like that. So sometimes it's rather difficult to explain, but usually I would try and see, yeah. But even though sometimes maybe some small conflict that I would rather, oh, oh let's have a dinner and not talk about it. <laughs> Your work is very complex and has a lot of depth. It's also very upfront and frank. From an early interview, you spoke about how you embrace pornography in your personal work. How do you work with this at Eaton and how free are you to showcase this type of nudity and pornography? Previously, we, we had um, show performance with a nude performer. We also have workshop that with live drawing model that fully naked and showing very diverse body like disabled body or, or precise body. We also did show a sci-fi porno, queer porno here. It's more like a feature film that how to imagine a future that people can have orgasm with some kind of pills that giving you the experience immerse yourself to other people's sexual life. So with this uh, show such a like more art house porno movie here before. So I would say the freedom that I have and eating is, I wouldn't say unlimited, but it's very free that I can do different kind of thing to support the community and using very underground or alternative way to showcase the artwork that you usually can see outside because that movie I was showing that was by an artist called Shuli Cheng that uh, she was from Taiwan that she represented Taiwan for the Venice Biennial before but even that she was so famous and she makes such kind of porno movie she got rejected by the Korea Film Festival <laughs> that thing that oh that's too expressive for us but such a place in Eton, we, we can have such a voice, even that voice might not be accepted even from the marginalized community, but it's very progressive voice, so we really want to show it here, yeah. Let's also address and talk a little bit more about how you plan, curate art, and the cultural activities at Eton. What else can you tell me about how you approach this? Um... Because I'm po our programming is not just focusing on art, so there's so many things going on. But usually for, I won't say non-art program because 
they sometimes colliding each other through the different kind of modularized culture with our program. So those kind of program that this year we're doing a lot of festival because in a festival we can include different kind of voice that was being more diverse and inclusive in such a festival. So people can have a understanding that, oh, when you are talking about certain kind of group, it's not just like, when you imagine talking about a queer art, you just not, you, you're not just talking about gay people because that's the projection sometimes you will get in other kind of art show or other kind of like cultural topics that we, me and Cass did a, like an interview for Vogue Hong Kong for a Pride Month feature. That feature, you can see most uh, mostly are gay people. There's one uh, lesbian couple and another group of folk dancer that might have different kind of identity. But the reason why sometimes I would really want to do a festival scale because we really want to include people from different kind of voice. So when you're emerging queer community, it's not just gay people. There's transgender people. There's people with as a sexual or gender minority, but also with other kind of identity like racial minority. They may be disabled. They may be migrant or refugee and such identity colliding each other can make them more marginalized at the same time. So such kind of people were some kind of beyond the spectrum of queer people. So those people, we really want to include that in such a big scale festival so we don't have just a so-called more mainstream voice from that community we also got a marginal voice from the community so therefore in this year's festival we also got a sound festival that is not just exploring sound from a physical or psychological way that like chasing back the history of Canton pop in Hong Kong, but also chasing back to the history of local Filipino people and how their music influencing the Canton pop. Like because they were like playing a lot of live band in different kind of hotel like like Peninsular, uh, back to the forty or fifty, and many of those kind of live musician also join the TVB or different kind of mass media and playing music for them. And also we got a program about the first nightclub in Lang Kwai Fong, which is called this called this called, which is a nightclub was uh, LGBT friendly. That how. They this nightclub brought the like culture in Nan Kwai Fong is how the queer people build such culture and make the mainstream people also feel like fit into such kind of like culture. So sometimes our programming is always like that. It's not just um, focusing on the mainstream aspect to seeing that kind of topic. We also would like to put in such a marginalized point of view to seeing such kind of topic. So therefore in this year we got like maybe five festival happening this year because each festival can include different kind of voice. So that's the way that we do it. And when it's approaching like more like art people for our gallery as usually 
we are just reaching out to people and talking to people and seeing they have any project they want to coming up and want our support. So usually it's quite casual and see if they have something fit into our theme. Like what I said, like gender or race or environmentalism, that is not just putting something up for our sake here in our gallery, but also would like to raise the awareness from the society how that this kind of marginalized people using their art to represent themselves, to express themselves, and giving the people a way to understand such community. So. That's usually the way that we do it. That's a very fascinating approach. How you use the format of festivals to include a broader range of arts, disciplines, and people from different backgrounds. Besides hosting festivals, what about the educational element? Is there a role for learning and dialogue in your festivals? Yeah, dialogue. I think is the most important part of the. The whole programming, but usually our approach is unlike those、uh, very traditional angel because I think they are more focusing on making this dialogue into some kind of like policy making or or reduce the discrimination as is a as a very direct dialogue that are. You have having a panel, a bunch of professional speaker, maybe academia, maybe members from the community. That oh, we are having a dialogue about certain topic. Usually, what I'm doing here that I will have a screening first, or have a a reading workshop first, or having a music show first. So after that, we will have a dialogue. And kind of based on what we have watched or what we have listened, that using art and culture as a kind of soft tool is not a very hard. We call it soft power to reach out to the public because we feels like there is so many very serious talk that was outside. Uh, in other kind of NGO, how we can use art and culture as a gateway or, or as a first encounter for them to know a little bit about this kind of topic because、um, we are still facing public more than just a, a NGO specialized in certain kind of like marginalized community. How to make the public feel like they are welcoming and arts is really a, a good. Way for them to just trying to has the first encountering exploring such topic and have a dialogue with the community and understand that. We already talked about how the environment of Eton is very different than a conventional gallery space. What would you say? To people who believe that showing art in this very informal setting kind of degrades the art to a piece of decoration. Yeah,、um, I would say that maybe some people will have that feeling that art become a decoration. But I would say that if art is a commodity that you can sell to people, and you know the people you sell. 
them will copy some rich people. Oh, I will finding a painting to decorate my room or my home. That kind of way that art is also a decoration. But what I feel like the art here is not just a decoration, but in some way, some people might feel is decoration because here is not a white cube. Here is not a museum that people were especially come and to see the art. We really want to include us here. This always have a meaning to our community. That how this artwork that related to certain kind of voice that was hidden in our society. That we really want to empathy in that. So there is a downside that if you seeing an art in a public space, that some people might just walk past by or just taking a picture and didn't give、uh, many attention to it. But in another way, that when we are doing exhibition in our public area, we will always have a description that very detail and tells the laws of story about what's behind this work and what's the intention of the artist and what they really want to address. So, just we want to make art is not just a secret or or such a. You will see art in such a aura sometimes. So art is not just belong to some kind of white cube or <laughs> or museum that you will come into. You will think being oh the art is so gigantic, so supreme, so holy or that kind of thing. We just want to make it down to earth that people don't need to just go into such a space that was purposing for art. Is every space is for art as well. That's what we are thinking to making the public environment as some kind of space for showcasing art because art should be for the people instead of some kind of people or just or、uh, specially or in love with art would walk into that space specially for art. But art can be in everywhere that everyone can just enjoy it. We have arrived at the end of this conversation, and of course, I have a last question before we go, and that is: Which artist would you like to invite if you were to have your last supper? Um, I would like to invite my father because my father passed away a few years ago, and and he influenced my art. Practices a lot because、uh, he is also an artist. So as my grandfather, that they both was trained as a painter that in the China before that. My grandfather used to talk Cai Guochang how to paint and draw. Cai Guochang is a very famous contemporary artist、uh, using firework to to do his performance or you know, artwork. So because I feel like. Growing up in a such family that almost art become an obligation for us to continue the family legacy, things like that. <laughs> so it's kind of traditional way to think of it, but still it's very influential in my practices. But sometimes that I feel like even I'm working on a art or cultural industry as a no matter as an artist or curator, but I. 
always very like curious that how they would perceive my practices because my way and the issue that I want to express throughout my artwork is or my practice is very different from them that I was really focused on my identity the queer identity or the way that I presented is quite expressive and quite maybe challenging to many people that because I haven't had a chance to show him the work that I'm doing now that I really want to have a chance to sit down and have a dinner with him and showing him that oh this is what I'm doing do you like it what do you think about it do you feel proud of it yeah many thanks Joseph for meeting me and taking the time to talk with me today thank you Oscar thanks for inviting me I'm so happy to be the guest of this episode Thank you for listening to this week's episode with Joseph Chen. That's it for this episode of The Last Supper. I already mentioned this at the beginning of this podcast, but in order to continue to offer episodes for free, we will need your support. Simply subscribe to this podcast, give it a star rating, leave a comment or share it with people who you think benefit as well from listening to this weekly podcast about art in Asia. You can find more information on my Instagram at thelastsupper.asia and on my website www.oscarvenhuis.com. And before I go, if you have any further questions or suggestions, feel free to message me on my email. And don't worry if you don't have a pen and paper to write it all down because I will post all the links, references of my guest and my contacts email in this podcast description as well. <laughs>